0: Now keep in mind that I'm an artist, and
1: I'm sensitive about To fuck around is human, to find out is divine. This is the I Refuse Podcast.
2: Welcome back to the I Refuse Podcast. You are listening to the I Refuse Podcast, Season 5, Episode 22. I'm Mr. Fox, the I Refuse Podcast, so welcome, 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 welcome. In this episode, we're going to talk about various things. Ponytail is back to reign. Take back the crown. It's Drake hip-hop. Yet another black female celebrity is throwing herself on the sword on social media for her relationship. And we got some thoughts. Also, secret tunnels in the Brooklyn Synagogue in New York City. And the Supreme Court rules on homelessness tent tent encampments. Keep it locked, keep it loaded. And we'll be back after these messages. Hello everybody, it's Mr. Foxy I Refuse Podcast. Season 5, episode 22. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If this is your first time coming to the I Refuse Podcast, we're so glad that you're here. We love word of mouth. We've been keeping it gully, keeping it street, keeping it crazy, keeping it wild just for you. If you are coming back to the Artviews Podcast, thank you for being such a loyal listener. We enjoy what we do up here at the Artviews Podcast universe by way of wherever you get your podcast: YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, at Artviews Podcast, where the content is not the same. Also, we send our regards from the Usual Suspects podcast, a spinoff that I have with my best girlfriend, one of my best girlfriends, the abstract Sagittarius. Also, the RFU's podcast, After Dark. Both podcasts are in its second season. The feedback, the support, the love, the impressions have all been great. The numbers have been amazing. We love each and every one of you. Spread the word. The Refuse podcast is clearly here to to stay. So let's get into it. Ponytail is back. She's making her triumphant return with some new music. First up, the single Yes And with the music video, which is to be followed by an album at some point in 2024. Having watched the music video and heard the song, it's clear she has some things to pop off about. You know, she's still with Woody Woodpecker, Pennywise looking dude, who was married and had a baby while she was on his penis. So naturally the song is in response to that. While the nonsense came and went for me, I enjoy some real mess inspired music. None of the hollow shit that, you know, Drake tends to make. Like, she's not tripping that y'all are tripping about what she got going on over there. We all know she ain't with a guy for his looks. We know the common theme in her history. You know, think about Pete Davidson. Think about Big Sean. Clearly, she is stuck on a guy for his huge vocabulary. My takeaways from the visual, though. I see we're going to have to gatekeep voguing from the whites again. Also, I wish Ponytail left her beautiful face alone. She out here looking like Wolverine. Between the choreography and the presentation, it's definitely renaissance-coded. And we have to have a discussion from that. How we just, as black content creators, black artists, black musicians, black visual-minded folks... That they continue to be, I'm using air quotes, inspired by us. You know, Renaissance came out, what, almost two years ago. And we've seen nothing outside of Beyonce that says, oh, we're not inspired by Renaissance. You know, everybody, there's some kind of inspiration or coded whether it's in the visuals or the choreography that directly stems from renaissance and that whole era and Beyonce hasn't even done yet you know the visuals and the choreography and the music video as a whole a little bit on the lazy side but I love the lyric like Say what you want, but it's very clear that this song was directly in response to what y'all had to say. And you know, she's rich and young. I just wish ponytail had left her face alone. So moving along. One insane Bay, a.k.a. Most Def, one of my favorite rappers, was on another podcast, not this one where he was asked, is Drake considered hip-hop? And this is what he had to say.
3: Like, is Drake hip-hop?
1: Why are you doing this to me? Drake is pop to me. In the sense, like, if I was in Target in Houston and I heard a Drake song, it feels like a lot of his music is compatible with shopping.
2: <laughs> commercial
1: music. Oh, as, or it's you know music, shopping yeah. with an edge. In certain instances.
3: Fair. I like Drake's music, but I understand exactly what you're saying. Of
1: course. I mean, it's, I, 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 it's get commercial,
3: it. entertaining, fun, it's, good, it's, formulaic music. It's likable. Likable music, yeah. It's
1: likable.
3: Um, But is it? Lena, you know, I'm gonna leave you, alone. We're gonna move.
1: We're gonna move on. Um...
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so many, so many products. So many so, skus. So many skus. <laughs> look at all these skus. Oh, so many products. So much merchandising. So oh, many I barcodes. This, I love this mall. <laughs> look at this place. I mean, look at this place. They have everything. Everything's here. <laughs> We have everything here. Ah, this is great. This is a new Drake, you hear it? It's great. Okay. What happens when this thing collapses? What happens when the columns start buckling? Are we not in some early stage of that at this present hour? Are we seeing like the collapse of the empire? Buying and selling, where's the message that I can use? Right. You know, what's in it for your audience apart from, like, banging the (laughs) pom-poms?
2: Not the (laughs) pom-poms. I get what he's saying. You know, Yasin Bay, Most F the Rapper... I get what he's saying. You know, we're at a point right now in the hip-hop, pop landscape where it's coming off more like a money grab than a legitimate artistic expression um, with regard to the history that it comes from and the spirit and the heart, you know? While I, personally, my metrics upon what makes a person a rapper or considered rap is different, maybe different to the next person or by the next person. You know, I don't think anything that he, you know, Yassine Bay has said is disrespectful or incorrect. Drake is very much pop um. And a lot of that comes with the image of someone who appears non-threatening, like the motherfuckers from Canada. But that doesn't take away from his impact or his influence or undermines his legitimacy as an artist. You know, when you are a record executive... And you are looking for artistry or musicianship, whatever you want to call it. You know, Drake has it. You know, he has the melody. He has an ear. He has a vision, at least for the majority of his career, you know, basing it off of the output, that is addictive is has high replay value, you know the the singing that he does or the singing that he demos for other artists serves serves him very well and serves others very well. you know there is definitely an experience that comes with his music there is definitely a spirit, especially in his earlier work, that has very key key points to it when it comes to storytelling and it comes to evoking some emotion or portraying a certain emotion that comes across to the listener. And he has a way of speaking Poetically, to, sp- to folks and his music. And yes, I could very much see you and I being in Target one day looking at shower rods, <laughs> looking at shower rods and pillowcases while best I ever had or started from the bottom. Or, um, let's see what else. Headlines, moment for life, say something, over, find your love. What else? Take care. um, Hold on, we're coming home. Jungle views, jump man take care any of his mixtapes any of this any of his stuff up to now probably the amended version of um sexy baby daddy playing over the the speakers in a target and before you can even before it even connects in your mind you're already kind of like dancing or I'm dancing While we're looking at shower rods and toilet seats. Home goods. Silverware. Produce. Looking at, you know... Typhoon pots and pans. Coffee makers. Bicycles. A nice outfit to wear for the weekend. Like, Drake's music is definitely would be popular down at the little target and there's nothing wrong with that per se i mean when you've got it when you got the gifts the gifts and you have the key tools at your disposal to make music that's repeatable that's uh non-threatening like fun you know hollow music that's it is what it is um i mean i'm not gonna lie you know he has some weak spots just like every other artist but there are those of us that know what it is like nothing the most that's ever going to come out of taking shots at another rapper from drake is social media beef now, may he have connections to Jay Prince? I think so. And we talked about Jay Prince before in the podcast. It's funny how that whole... Um, Migos shooting down in Houston came and went without any repercussions. It, But that's just... That's another episode for another day. Um, Moving right along, you know, fresh off of the heels of our discussion we had on black females, black young females, also celebrities to some degree. And relationships with other black men around their age. Kind of um, looking goofy. On social media, on podcasts, we were just talking about Simone Biles and her husband. Now we are on the heels of having another discussion. And this one is... More major in my mind because this particular woman is the direct descendant of her mom who has been a long-suffering wife, girlfriend, fiancé in her history. While with a very famous rapper, one Clifford yeah tip Paris. so it's like the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree so I was down here minding my African American business as I've been known to do as I've constantly told y'all on multiple episodes when I was in bed and one of my guilty pleasures when I'm in bed is either looking at youtube videos on my big screen tv or you know scrolling through swiping up on tiktok and maybe it's something in my for you page or something or some something in my content that brings this kind of shit to my timeline y'all were discussing Zonique, who is Tiny's oldest child Apparently, you know she is looking pretty foolish out here with her her baby's father, and it's sent y'all in a tailspin. so i'll pay I'll play some of the clips to give you an idea before I give my my thoughts. So it looks like she's asking him a series of questions, and each answer from his mouth. To the camera is clearly an embarrassment. So I'm just going to cycle through.
4: Why not? When did you know I was the one? What
5: made you think you're the one? <laughs> what made you know that? I was, wait. What
3: made you know that I was the one? Like, I want to
5: marry her. I,
3: just, I never thought I wanted to marry you her. You never thought that in your whole entire fucking life? You do me to sit here and pat me. like that and you say really, that you I got never
5: got thought me. I would. I never, I thought never went through my mind, but
3: no, I want no. So why do you asked me to
1: marry you? What? Twice. Izzy,
5: you're a liar. Yo, it's crazy. She over here catting Tracy. I can pull
0: up the text message.
5: Oh, I text you asking you to
0: You said when I get
3: back, can we get married? When? And then when we and then and then you when we got there, when you got here you asked me you said can I marry you?
5: And what you say? I
3: said no. <laughs> Is that why you don't want to admit?
5: You said no.
3: Nope.
5: <laughs> Come on, brother. You know I ain't never proposing to nobody and get no. Probably. When- Do you
3: think that when
0: did you know? I- Do you think that we would be together if we didn't have a child? And why? No. They asked us some
5: good questions. No. Why
3: not?
5: Because I feel like a lot of shit. You have an image in your mind of Raise a hundred with a, a two pound. Oh, yeah. So you tolerate a lot of shit. So you just stay. Hey, I wouldn't be with you either. <laughs>
3: okay, so tell your why
0: Don't tell mine. Why tell your why
5: Because I have four kids, and this is the only kid that I was in the household with from start to finish. So it's something that I don't want to take from her as well. But I would not live <laughs> I kicked you to well, uh, yeah. the goddamn career. bro, shit, bro. I, I just don't tolerate from bitches, bro. We do a lot of it. I'm telling you. <laughs> you <tolerate laughs> No, I'm not. What? I'm what hard on a bitch,
0: And what do I be doing to you? Tell them one thing that I be doing
5: to you. Bro, your attitude, first of all, like we just went through with our whole fucking, with my fucking channel. Uh-huh. Your attitude, first of all, I don't deal with that shit with, with, from nobody. Do
0: you think that we would be together if we didn't have a child?
2: Okay, so the first clip. Now, I don't know which order they did this in. But I will say the first clip, I was like, um, totally unserious. I personally don't take young relationships seriously. I mean, it's nothing more than just two emotionally immature kids. I thought looking at the first clip or felt that, you know... He was clearly trolling, just put putting on for the camera and, you know, not taking any of this seriously to some degree is a red flag. I don't know why she would even post this shit. Like it's giving very much science project. He's playing his little video game. It's clear that he was playing around and you're just giggling and smiling and laughing. But I think to some degree, to some degree, there is some truth to what he's saying. But, you know, he's just laughing it off because, you know, he wants to soften the embarrassment for you. But by the time I got to the second clip, you know, the tone of it was the polar opposite like he was coming off pretty agitated but the devil's in the details for me referring to women as bitches tells me all I really need to know about these kind of dudes for you to be a female for you to do this for the two of you to do this in front of your daughter that you share with him he is freely using the word bitches more than once in the second clip. Yeah, that's very troubling. Like no respect for you, your daughter. And then on top of that, he just casually let it slip slip out almost on like some flex shit that out of his four kids Four Kids. that this particular child that he has with you is the only one out of his four kids where he's been in the house from beginning to the current. I was like, hold on. Pause, flag, flag on the play. When I tell you Atlanta must have like lead in the Dayton pool, Or toxic sludge like Gotham-level, Gotham-quality toxic sludge in the dating pool. This is what I mean. Like, I just hope more parents, my wish is that for more parents to expose their kids to other countries, other cities, just take them... On you know a family vacation to another country, so they can see that there's more to this world. That you know they can come back and not be impressed by a light-skinned dude with green eyes and pretty hair and some fashion sense for one day, so they don't end up in these kind of situations. Like, for the heck of it, just send them out when they're like 15, 16 years old to Europe for the summer. Or Japan for a year. That way, when they come back, they don't fall for a light-skinned dude with tattoos and five baby mamas. It's just that simple. But that didn't happen for Zanique, unfortunately. And this is where we are. Another casualty for young black females. And here's the thing. like Zanique could have been a Dillamil Nepo baby. just Just sitting on... Her tough it, legs crossed, arms folded, just living off of her, you know, mom's money and lifestyle. But Zonique didn't do that. You know, live performer, pretty steady, sing, rap, do whatever, had all the potential to be like a willow level kind of thing. But unfortunately, Looking like she is another Atlantic statistic that fell for a pretty hood or hood adjacent suburban light-skinned dude like Simone Biles did. And comes to social media with these um, I wouldn't even say they were Cosmopolitan magazine questions. But turn the camera on and decide to ask her dude questions probably didn't even tip him off beforehand and just let this dude just say whatever and i think the more embarrassing part from it is that during the course of his responses You can see like the despair and the the let down her face. Like, yeah, she's laughing and smiling and stuff, but you can tell that she was expecting a more lovey dovey, loving, romantic boyfriend type of answer. And this motherfucker just said, Look, I don't care if this camera's on me. You know, I'm here. Marriage is not in my um not on the horizon for me right now, which is fair. But the the casually dropping the B word in front of your kid and when talking about women and it's the four kids for me. Zanique is barely in her mid twenties, I think. And this is what you you go up for? I just want more. Better for the girls. And unfortunately, you know, they, they defend their relationship or defend troll, you know, their relationship against trolls. And in their mind, they probably think they're doing what's best for their family. But they're actually digging the hole deeper. If a man is willing to publicly go on camera and say to your face that he's only in the relationship for the sake of your daughter so she can grow up in the two-parent household, please run. You know, whether you want to believe it or not, you know, as much as you want people to believe that you know, family is where it's at. There's still a vicious cycle where, and this is generational, where women are finding themselves having to be the man of the house. And it's always on them to be the bigger person and to do the vetting and crossing their T's and dotting their I's and well if you were a lady you know he can be the man clearly he wasn't or else I wouldn't have to be the man It's like you want them to look for more in the guy before laying up with them. And want more for themselves. But yeah, here we are. Tussling on social media for a dude that tells you where he stands. He's not in it for the long term with you. Doesn't care. And what you have to show for is being another baby mother.
0: baby daddy Izzy has been going viral ever since they did the hot seat challenge a lot of people felt like her baby daddy was playing in her face he said that he had her block on social media then he said if they didn't have a kid together that they wouldn't be together keep in mind that he has four kids other than her child which in total he has five kids I don't know how many baby mamas but I didn't even know he had four other kids but that's a whole nother story Zanique responded to the rude comments. she tweeted, y'all think I'm impressed about being in a relationship with a man whole time I like women oh my god it's 2024 y'all still investing in other people's business <laughs> Oops. <laughs> the video definitely wasn't given that they wasn't smashes. Something is going on between the two. That video of Zanik and her baby daddy, he basically said he knew he could get away with what he does because she had no standards and would do anything for a two-parent household trifling. Y'all bashed me when y'all found out I didn't care about getting married. Now y'all think I care about a child growing up in a two-parent household? Most inaccurate thing he could have ever said. She said for the 15th time me and Izzy are not in a relationship, there's no reason to be mad. That's why I said this is too invested.
5: Because I had four kids and this is the only kid that I was in the house with from start to finish so it's something that i don't
0: want to take from her as well but i would admit no. like keep you to a goddamn career why uh bro there's a lot of shit bro that, that i just don't tolerate well you do a lot of it I'm <laughs> telling you zanika
2: and her baby daddy izzy has been going viral ever since they did the hot she's saving face at this point again i'm i don't care for it one way or another but it, I felt I need to discuss this uh, this trend, which is essentially just a cycle turning on itself, turning back on itself, where women are just um, falling for the same okie doke, whether they have a father in their household or not. It's definitely a big thing in Atlanta. Definitely a big thing in the South. And, you know, whether you are a woman of old school church values like a Fantasia that, you know, the man is the head of the household and the woman must cleave and all this other stuff. And bend and compromise and all this other stuff. Or you're like a Zanik and I would theorize to some degree Simone Biles that um, I'm happy to be with a pretty nigger and whether you're Simone Biles when it comes to the pushback or you're Zanik you know Simone didn't necessarily have a full-fledged response but Zanik is Realizing the, the things didn't pan out the way that she hoped, so she's saving face. Oh, we're not really together. I'm into females anyway. Can care less about whether or not a child, my child, grows up in the two-parent household or with the dudes in it. For that very reason. Okay, well, do you? Just leave us out of it. But you know, you know, the young kids can seem to. Stop that. But isn't it interesting nonetheless? So moving right along into some very serious stuff. Oh, I forgot to talk about one thing. Lil Nas X recently released the visual music video For his new single. J. Christ. And not even. A month has. Come. That he's already receiving a lot of pushback. So. Lil Nas X. In the music video. For J. Christ. He continues to challenge the sanctity of biblical images. Through campiness, tongue-in-cheek, facetious imagery. In his latest video, well, before it dropped, he was active on social media, drumming up excitement, posted clips of himself eating communion wafers, light chips and drinking wine, offering an all-expense-paid trip to heaven, Dressing like Jesus Christ looking figure on the cross before morphing transformer style into a robotic figure. So as is the case with his previous efforts, Lil Nas X does a trolling throughout type of promotion leading up to the release of his next single and the music video to follow it. Um, this the promotion for this latest single and music video is no different um, he's gone as far as post an acceptance letter from the Christian school Liberty University on Instagram that said he was about to go to college for biblical studies in the fall not everything is a troll later the letter goes on to say that he was accepted into the school for the fall 2024 semester Montero, the entire Liberty family congratulates you. Now is your time to train as a champion for Christ. Of course, a university spokesman from Liberty University says, We can confirm that Liberty University did not issue Montero Hill an acceptance letter post the essay to social media, and we have no record of Montero Hall applying to the university. So in the music video, it opens with a long line of people dressed in white, seemingly making their way onto the stairway to heaven. They mimic celebrities and public figures like Taylor Swift, Eddie Sheeran, Kanye West, and Barack Obama. As they enter heaven, we see Lil Nas as a white angel without wings. After a glimpse of a Michael Jackson-like figure and brief dip into hell, we're back in heaven with Little Nas X, facing off against the devil in a game of... Basketball, in a packed stadium. He sings as he slam dunks. Is he up to something only I I know? Is he about to hit him with the high I I note? Is he about to give him something viral? In rapid succession, we see Lil Nas as a cheerleader leading a group dance, then Lil Nas dressed as Jesus Christ on the cross, and then the shepherd shearing a lamb. All the while, the world is on the brink of destruction. And Lil Nas transforms into Noah, who leads his animals to the ark that will save their lives. The video ends with Lil Nas leading the ark into clear waters. A Bible verse is Lil Nas' parting words on the screen. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Of course... Right-wing backlash, Christian rapper Bryson Gray denounced the images of Lil Nas dressed as Jesus and called on other Christians to also publicly condemn him. Gray went on to tell Fox News, I think he is mocking Christianity. He is mocking Christ. That is why he uses Christian imagery to do it. He goes on to say he's doing it with the goal to mock us because that's how he gets his clicks. I don't care if he gets the clicks about Christians reacting. I want to see more Christians reacting. Lil Nas X, in response, went to the internet to address the critics, saying the crazy thing is nowhere in the picture is a mockery of Jesus. Jesus' images is used throughout history and people's art all over the world. I'm not making fun of shit. Y'all just gotta stop trying to gatekeep a religion that was here before any of us were even born. But the backlash doesn't stop there. Well Nas X, a musical artist, is also facing backlash from other former rappers, former um, pop stars, and shocker, I say that as sarcastically as possible, that's from other black men. Of course, you know, Bootsy Badass was the first one. We already know what his deal is, his program is. You know, anything remotely appearing homosexual, he's going to make it a big deal. His focus has been, for the longest time, as a major part of his platform, attention to gay stuff. Which led a lot of us to believe he was doing the hunching down there at Camp Cupcake when he was incarcerated. But, you know, we're we're not surprised that Bootsy Badass being, you know, the homophobe that he is. In addition to that, we have one Hurricane Chris. Who had like a hit almost 20 years ago. Hurricane Chris goes on to um, share his sentiments and the comfort of his um, his one bedroom apartment. I'm just theorizing, you know. Decides to use his iPhone 12 <laughs> with the front facing camera to respond. And I'm going to sh- play that clip for you guys here. Listen very
6: closely. Man, the, I don't know, what the, man, this dude with no, an the most, just, it's the most disrespectful shit I ever seen in my life. I, don't, I can't even get my fucking words out. Bro, find you something else to play with besides Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus and none of that then you just, just don't play with it at all, bro. You ain't got to believe in it, but don't play with that, bro. Don't play with nobody religion. It's some down bad ass shit. They always ask me what I thought about you, and I try not to be disrespectful, you know. You know what I'm saying due to, you know, how everything works But nah, fuck that. You's a foul ass, disrespectful ass cat. I mean, you gonna really, you gonna really go out there and play with Jesus like that, at the Last Supper? So you think Jesus is something to play with? It's just a toy. You think just because? You got, you got your community behind you that you can just do anything at this point, huh? Where you got life fucked up. And we slide behind you. Ain't nobody playing like that, huh? boy. now I see why, I see why, I see why such and such was on your head like that. Because he seen that you was a straight fuck nigga, a little bitch ass fuck nigga, playing with Jesus like that. He was a mall.
2: So aside from the very obvious, which is the real bitch assness stuff is when you run to the internet first to respond and you keep it on the internet, not realizing that you're actually playing right into what Lil Nas X is proving, which is... people try to hide their homophobia behind religion. And watching that clip, you know, Hurricane Chris's response, as time went on, you can, you can tell that the homophobia was was starting to come up to the top. Because here's the thing. You know, you have two variables. I'm going to break it down for you. Two variables. Religion. Homophobia. Right? This is not the first time that there have been religious images in hip-hop music videos. Okay, let's just say... Okay, right now we consider Lil Nas X hip hop and rap. You know he's he does he does country he does pop he does trap and all that other stuff. But let's just say, for the sake of argument, Lil Nas X is a hip hop artist. This isn't the first time we've seen religious images, just the image, in music videos. You know, Madonna's done it. Puffy's done it, Nas has done it, Um, who else, you know, various people in the history of music videos have done it, and Nas being the most iconic hip-hop artist now and at that time, did it in the music video for You Can Hate Me Now. Not an ounce of outcry. Not an ounce of pushback. Not an ounce of you a mark. You a trick. You were this and you are that. Nothing derogatory. Um, but Lil Nas X does it. And there are similarities. You know, in Nas' music video for You Can Hate Me Now. Him and Puffy are they essentially play out in the music video the um, the crucifixion of Jesus they they simulated those are biblical images so why the uproar right if if the religious images which it's is such a tired thing because none of this Simulating or recreating or doing the the imagery with Jesus is not a blatant disrespect. And here's the thing you also have to consider who's responding. Hurricane Chris, you've made a name and money and fame off of misogyny. Um, Let's see. Disrespecting women selling, making drugs. But an artist using biblical images as part of marketing to promote a song not the first time he's done it by the way that's where you draw the line it's a hypocrisy for me because in that same you know that same march for being pro-Jesus and protecting the imaging in that same book that is also part of the religion I believe there's also verses in there that talks about honoring women, respecting family, loyalty, things of that nature. So what are you really saying what What's the real discourse what What's your real contention point of contention when it comes to little X? Because if it was more about Jesus and more about the Bible and biblical things of that nature, you'd have to ha- look for more evidence in Little Nas' universe than just him using the imagery. Because Quaz is at his cap the way the many different ways that Jesus image is used and words are contorted and words are misconstrued from the bible and just the way that the those few things those very important things are used to put down minorities put down gays, put down lesbians, put down um, immigrants, put down liberals and continue this tradition that oppresses historical traditions that oppress all these groups for many centuries to the point that there's violence, there is harassment, there is murder there are phobic attacks but you draw the line at Lil Nas X dressing in robes being in heaven seeing Michael Jackson um And doing the, portraying the experience of what it's like and how. I could see if he was doing that plus targeting certain people like you're doing. But he's not. You know, I'm of the critical thought to the point that I can see it. I can see when it comes to Lil Nas X, different perspectives. You know, I can see people's opinion that, yeah, he's a little stiff on stage, and, you know, he he could stand to improve his um, stage presence, and, you know, get the dance moves down, and, you know, work out everything, which is merely a reflection of somebody who is a little behind on the upkeep in keeping up in the the stratospheric rise to start in such a quick amount of time. Cause it went from, you know, Old Town Road one month to like doing shows like on major channels and major award shows. So the artist development wasn't able to catch up with all the success so he was a little you know a little off on some of the performances that aside you can't take away from the fact that you know you never before have you seen an out queer black performer at Glastonbury or being the main attraction at the VMAs being the main attraction at the Country Music Awards and in a short amount of time I think his first year working with everybody from Billy Ray Cyrus to I believe he worked with Nas like major names and then you know the debut album came out and he was everywhere he had major names like Elton John and Megan Thee Stallion like there's there's something to applaud there and you know when it comes to the gimmicks and the the way he goes about using social media to continue to troll and the most trolling he does is in support of his own music that's to some degree pretty genius gimmick or not and quiet as is cap when it comes to gimmicks we know the, the 18, 19, 20 20 some year olds are all about gimmicks if it leads to a coin and they're not hurting anybody so be it but those of you that are responding to Lil Nas X the way that Hurricane Chris and Boosie Badass are, and this Christian rapper guy that I've never heard of, the way you guys are responding, the way that you are, you're just going up to prove the very point that Lil Nas X is making. It's called, you know, it all comes down to reading the room. We hear the RFU's podcast. When we see Lil Nas X and the performances and listen to the music, we just see somebody having fun. And it's just so funny to me what people are up in arms about these days. You know, it's funny how there's so much attention placed on what black people are doing. And when I say that, I think about Of course, you know, the Rico case against Young Thug and his cohort over there that at this point has been going on so damn long. I think it's a goddamn miniseries. Meanwhile, meanwhile, people recently discovered over 200 bodies buried in unmarked graves behind a jail outside of Jackson, Mississippi.
7: Of 215 bodies buried in unmarked graves behind a jail outside of Jackson, Mississippi, has left a community disbelief the families are angry their loved ones were buried in so-called paupers graves marked by just a metal rod and a number and families were never notified of their deaths the startling revelation came months after the mother of 37 year old dexter wade filed a missing persons report last march it wasn't until august when betterson wade learned her son had been hit by a police car and killed then buried in that same cemetery for more about this case and the disturbing details that have emerged since then, I am joined now by Betterson Wade and civil rights attorney Ben Crump, who is representing her and other families. Welcome to you both. Ms. Wade, can I just begin by saying how very sorry we are for your loss and thank you for joining us?
3: Thank
4: you, Alton
7: i understand miss wade you contacted the jackson police department after reporting that your son was missing several times even after he had been buried without your knowledge give us a sense of what they told you over those many months and what those months were like for you not knowing where your son was
4: well it was devastating to me because um i didn't know where you were and then i was calling them they didn't have no information to let me know uh, have they, you know, found any information? All the, you know, details that I gave them for leads, you know, they never came back to me to say, well, you know, that led that lead led it to something that we can work with. And I just couldn't believe that he had disappeared off the face of earth, and nobody knows where he at. And it was just horrible for me. And every day I wake up. I just, want, I just look, 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 just looking for him, just out in the streets looking for him. And I mean, that's heartbreaking for a mother. And can't say hello, don't know how to get in touch with him. That is a horrible thing for a mother.
7: Mr. Crump, after it was discovered that Dexter had been killed, that he had been buried in this grave. Uh, his body was exhumed in November. There was an autopsy conducted. He was given a proper burial. But I also understand a wallet was found in his front pocket with his ID, his home address, his insurance card. What's the explanation officials give for why no one was notified he had been killed and buried?
8: There really is no explanation that they have offered. They claimed that they tried to reach out to Miss Bedison and you should know that Miss Bettison is the named plaintiff in a lawsuit against the Jackson Police Department because they killed her brother three years earlier. Uh, she went through two criminal trials, had several press conferences. So when they called her house, if they did call her house like they claimed, they knew where she lived. They knew how to get in contact with her if they really wanted to notify her that her son Dexter had been hit by a police car. So it is very suspicious that they would just bury him in a proper grave because they said they could not identify his next of kin. Miss Bettison does not accept it. And because of her tenacity, It has exposed all of these loved ones being dropped in a hole in a bag behind a Mississippi jail.
7: Mr. Crump, the Jackson mayor did say there were mistakes. He also just said that Dexter Wade's death was a tragic accident. He said there was no malicious intent in failing to notify the family. We know the police department has new notification procedures right now. What recourse are you specifically seeking right now for these families you represent?
8: We're seeking to have the federal department of justice come in and do an investigation to make sure that each and every one of these citizens disproportionately black citizens who lives matter will be identified their families notified and them given a proper funeral
7: and I should say, Ms. Wade, I mentioned families because you are not alone here. There's been, in the last few months, the discovery at least two other men, 40-year-old Mario Moore and 39-year-old Jonathan Hankins, were also killed and buried in that same cemetery, and their families not notified for months. From your perspective, Ms. Wade, what do you want to see happen now?
4: Well, for the first of all, I feel like that uh, the city needs to give me a percent to say that, hey, I'm sorry. I mean, just give me some kind of closure and explain to me what actually happened to my son on that freeway that night. You know, how did it actually occur? You know, just what went down the events and went down with it. And I want to see justice. I want to see justice done for this because it's wrong. It's wrong to take somebody's child and bury them in a field, and take, and I didn't even get a last chance to say anything to my child, or you. I didn't even get a last chance to just say, "Baby, I love you." Just to look down on them and say, "Baby, I love you." They haven't even came and called me and said, "Miss Wade, could you come down and we explain to you what happened?" I mean, I haven't even got a word, and so how do that feel? That makes you feel like they are guilty. They are guilty of a crime because they can't tell you what happened. Ms. Wade,
7: do i understand correctly that the mayor no one from the police department has reached out to you to explain what happened to your son
4: no no one have reached out to me to say explain it you know to explain what happened to my son but i did at least have city supervisors you know the supervisors the board supervisors, to say you know that they hated what happened to me but i haven't had said anything nobody from jpd Jackson Police Department, Mm -hmm. have came to me and acknowledged me.
7: Mr. Crump, the story gets even more disturbing with this discovery of 215 bodies in that cemetery. What do we know about those bodies?
8: We know based on the records from the coroner's office that since uh, 2016, in the last eight years, we can identify 215 individuals that were buried behind that jail and their families have not been notified. Furthermore, (laughs) Mr. Wade was number 672. That means there are 671 other people buried behind that jail marked with only a number.
7: Mr. Crump and Ms. Betterton-Wade, I thank you so much for joining us tonight. I have a feeling we'll be following up on this story in the weeks and months ahead. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you.
2: Where's the FBI and the U.S. Supreme Court to address this? And where's the Black Lives matters protesters around this because you gotta understand right I initially said over 200 bodies it said 216 in the story that man was body number 672 that's three times the amount all buried since 2016 behind the Hines County De. Tension facility for almost eight years people that have died a myriad of ways this man particularly died from a hit-and-run point is none of their families were notified or contacted successfully you know they'll try to of course you know now that the story's out they'll try to revise history And say, oh, we tried and stuff like that. No. I think it's time we start having discussions and really put behind those discussions some actions when it comes to lives in this country. You know, it's crazy that the the biggest beefs are on social media and everybody has its opinions and they want to be the first ones to show how narrow-minded they are. When you have literally over 600 bodies no the middle and the back that most of them are people of color buried on jail property in unmarked graves. But, you know, let's. Let's tussle over, you know, images and, you know, use religion as a scapegoat for homophobia. And, you know, let's put on full display our ignorance and our racism as it comes to rap lyrics and rap music and attempt, you know, by way of censorship just so we can maintain our quota each month for prison inmates you see how crazy that sounds? That that that's, this is the RICO cases and the Lil Nas X controversy you know, aside from the fact that it's from his own people meanwhile, you got this going on As well as other things that we're about to talk about in this episode. It's 2024. Can we have some real conversations about some real things? Instead of getting on social media, turning on our front-facing cameras to respond... And show how narrow-minded we are about folks. See, so now that shit has hit the fan for Hines County, you know, representatives or spokespeople for the county, for the jail, are doubling back and saying that the bodies were buried in a pauper's graveyard managed by Hines County. This is from Melissa Faith Payne, the city's director of communication. She goes on to say it's not a secret burial ground. In those graves are the bodies of those who went unclaimed by family when they died. These persons are either homeless people, inmates from local jobs who died, but relatives never claimed their bodies. Unidentified persons who officials were never able to connect with family or even persons who died whose families couldn't afford a funeral. K. pasa So that statement s- sounds like she knows more than she's willing to say, and it, from my perspective, it plays right into what family members who were on the the clip that I just played are saying because. You knew these people had families. You go up... with this statement... in response to the controversy... by, in a roundabout way, backfilling... the stories on these people. Like, you had to have some knowledge of these people... when... these so-called, I'm putting these in very emphatic air quotes, accidents happened. And it's no possible way for you to speak for over 600 people's families. And this kind of statement just goes to show you how valuable human life is to some of these counties in the South. Like, so because, because in this statement, she, she checked off homeless people, inmates from local jails, already came up with this conclusion that the relatives never claimed their bodies. Unidentified persons who officials were never able to connect with family Or even persons who died whose families couldn't afford a funeral. How do you know all that? You know, people tend to tell on themselves when they give you more information that you didn't ask for. Narranson questions that you never asked and they really just don't give a fuck um, here you have families after family after family that have filed missing people's reports not get an answer back and you know filing mis- filing missing people's reports Go across the entire country, and now you come with this statement after eight years, putting it back on the families. Mm. Now I wouldn't go out on a limb and say this is a uh, this is murder. But I will go out on the limb and say that the cover up definitely isn't a better look. And to know that this man that is at marker six seventy two struck and killed by an SUV driven by an off duty police officer. And you had his wallet in this front pocket. Hmm. Where's the value in black life, right? It's just it's just so fucking sad, man. It's just so fucking sad. And here we are. We just started out in 2024. And They are digging mass graves, covering human life with dirt, unmarked, unaccounted for. People that have fallen at the hands of police officers and who knows how many numbers. It's crazy out here. Very, very crazy. So by now, I'm sure you guys have seen the clips of the brawl and the scuffle that ensued within the confines of a Brooklyn, New York City synagogue between members of said synagogue and the NYPD blue. Upon the discovery and the exposure of a hidden tunnel network beneath the synagogue, I've been mystified, let's see, two weeks so far by this story because... First I was like why did the NYPD just bum rush this particular synagogue and why is there a huge scuffle that I believe the Jewish members started and why this why this hidden tunnel hidden underground network that spans many, many square feet. There are different entryways, different openings, both, of course, underneath several New York City buildings leading to several different areas, but also leads to the street level. And it's two ways. You can get in from the sidewalk, but you can also get out from underneath these buildings. Upon further discovery and research, we saw that not only were there openings through that led to major pipe work, but also there were bloody mattresses, there were areas big enough to live and hide out. Stairways for miles. Hallways. All concrete based. But also pathways and step steps down into the sewer lines, into... Areas big enough to have a major network. We're talking levels to border tunnels. Like that kind of thing could be possible. And I'm like, what? I wonder what led to this this whole thing. So... According to Fox 5 New York, that released a story, first on January 9th, but I'm sure the investigation into this underground network had been going on for months, which probably involved, like, stings and various... People, you know, disguised as Jewish synagogue members, before you know the big raid, so to speak. So, a historic Brooklyn synagogue that served as the center of the Shabbat Lubitovich, Lubavitch movement in Crown Heights, trashed during an unusual community dispute. That began with the discovery of a secret underground tunnel. You know, the brawl erupted in the global headquarters of the movement, a deeply revered Jewish site that each year receives thousands of visitors, including international students and religious leaders. A gothic revival facade, immediately recognizable to adherence of the Shabbat movement, has inspired dozens of replicas across the world. However, the synagogue remained closed off by police barricades as New York City building safety agents inspected whether a tunnel dug without official permission may have caused structural damage to the famed property. What was found was a single linear underground tunnel roughly 60 feet long, 8 feet wide with a ceiling height of 5 feet, that had been illegally excavated underneath a single story extension located directly behind the four story buildings. At 784 eastern parkway and 786 eastern parkway in brooklyn the extension located directly above the tunnel connected four neighboring buildings on the ground level the tunnel which was found to be empty other than dirt tools and debris from workers was constructed without approval and permits from the odb when the group leaders tried to seal it off monday a group of young students staged a protest that turned violent as police moved in to make arrests the exact purpose and provenance of the tunnel that incited the altercation remained the subject of sub- some debate. The passageway is believed to have started in the basement of an empty apartment building behind the headquarters, snaking under a series of offices and lecture halls before eventually connecting to the synagogue, according to Mahdi Singleson, a spokesperson for Shabad. Characterized its construction as a road act of vandalism committed by a group of misguided young men, condemning, condemning the extremists who broke the wall to the synagogue, vandalizing the sanctuary in an effort to preserve their unauthorized access. Those who support the tunnel, meanwhile, said they were carrying on in an expansion plan long envisioned by the former head of the Shabbat movement, Rebi men- Mendel Schneerson who led the Shabbat Lubavitch for more than four decades before his death in 1994, reinvigorating a Hasidic religious community that had been devastated by the Holocaust. Supporters of the expansion said the basement synagogue had long been overcrowded, prompting a push to annex additional support that some of the community felt was taking too long. Many of those supporters subscribe to the Masonic belief that Shanierson is still alive, That's what the rabbi wants. That's what everybody wants, said Zami Grossman, a 21-year-old Brooklyn resident, saying the tunnel project began late last year as a way to connect the synagogue with the whole empty space behind it. The community feels terrible. It's a disgrace. Instead of expanding, they destroyed. Shabbat leaders declined to say when they discovered the underground connection, but several worshippers said word of the tunnel's existence had spread through the community in recent weeks. The situation came to a head Monday when a cement truck arrived to seal the opening. Proponents of the tunnel then staged a protest and ripped off the wooden siding of the synagogue. Police department spokesman said officers were called to the building in the afternoon to respond to a disorderly group that was trespassing and damaging a wall. For several hours, police pleaded with the young men to leave the entrance to the tunnel according to witnesses after they refused the officers covered the area with a white curtain and entered the dusty crevice with zip ties to detain the protesters when they took the first person out with zip ties that's when the outburst happened said barouche dahan a 21 year old studying at the synagogue who videotaped the, the congregants fighting almost everyone was against what they did but as soon as people saw the handcuffs there was confusion and pushing Footage posted to social media shows scores of onlookers, mostly young men, jeering at the New York Police Department's community affairs officers. Some lifted wooden desks into the air, sending prayer books scattering. In response, an officer appeared to deploy an irritating spray to disperse the group. Nine people between the ages of 19 and 22 were ultimately arrested on charges that included criminal mischief, reckless endangerment, and obstructing governmental administration, according to police, Another three received summonses for disorderly conduct. A spokesperson for the Department of Building said the inspection results were pending on Tuesday evening. While the building remained closed, some worshippers completed their prayers outside in the drizzling rain. The community feels terrible, DeHaan says. It's a disgrace. Instead of expanding, they destroyed. So, this is what I'll say. This sort of thing, the discovery, the exposure, and the the reality possibly is not good for the image that Jewish people have, Um, especially During this uh, very hostile time with the war across the pond. no, We just got done talking about anti-Semitic harassment, bullying, and attacks, harassment, uh, threats of violence made against Jewish people here in this country. And yet, we have something like this that will only inflame or justify the lack of trust. And in some minds, will justify the bias and the prejudice that people continue to support, have, fight for their right to do so against Jewish people. You know, when we think of tunnels and privacy and everything that comes with that, we find ourselves more curious as to what's going on behind closed doors. And now when you have a longstanding synagogue, part of a even longstanding movement that was birthed out of Thriving from darkness, the darkness being the Holocaust. And you come into current times where people just have no respect for context and history. Just what's good for them, what makes them feel good, even if it's at the detriment of a whole demographic. That they don't care. why they're here they don't care why jewish people are here and why they have synagogues in major cities because they don't care about the history you know people that are ignorant people that are anti-semitic what empowers them and what causes them to thrive is this fear they don't want to sit down and understand they don't want to recognize the history they don't want to humanize others you know there are people that have these shrines and have these institutions to maintain some peace and to empower themselves from years and years of genocide being inflicted on their people and things like anti-Semitism things like prejudice and bias and white supremacy which only serve to keep that shit going undermines all of that undermines the power and the beauty of worship, undermines the prayer and the beauty of community. And as we're in, what, the fourth or fifth year of realizing what, you know, the the systematic, regression of acts and laws and monumental cases that were resolved and granted to protect men, women, minorities and protect all of these people. You know, Roe versus Wade was overturned and there are other things that are happening right before our eyes. That are direct results of 45's single term. And as much as we like to believe that, yes, the presidency is the most powerful position in the world, when you still have regressive power and conservative power making the calls and calling the shots and they're the majority vote you will continue to see things overturned you will continue to see a continued regression of society which is essentially steeped in ignorance and fear and bias this kind of secrecy and hidden tunnels and all these different things that are in these areas raises more questions so it's a double-edged sword it's a it's very much a double-edged sword as to you want us you want people to humanize and respect your history and your culture Yeah, people are constantly faced with a lot of questions as to what are y'all doing under here? What what are y'all doing in these tunnels and why are there mattresses and why is there essentially a network of secrets and all this mystery going on right now? Now, look, I don't claim to be political this is not a political channel or a political podcast i'm just naturally as curious as the rest of you and i know having been part of this earth 40 plus years that the gatekeepers and this is a general speak that i'm saying will hop on anything to make part of their narrative, to make part of their own personal campaign, something to come into a circle, a group with, and be part of some said movement. We are very, very heavy as, as a society right now into... Phobias, prejudices, and biases against key demographics out of insecurity, out of jealousy, out of envy, out of supremacy. And it's very, very sad, very, very sickening. You know, as much as we like people to believe. Oh, you know, because we have a new president in office and, you know, a new energy and a and a new vibe, lackluster as it is, it doesn't serve as an adequate distraction. You know, people are still gonna do what they're gonna do, no matter who's in office. And unfortunately, I'm going to theorize and I guess use my psychic abilities that what has happened from this and what's been shared from this and what's we've seen videos from this and this story, these stories are only going to fuel the fire, fan the flames. Of an already phobic society, you know it's going to fan the flames of peop of you know Holocaust deniers and people that whose sole existence is to undermine Jewish people and Leave the door open for more phobic attitudes, behaviors, and anti-Semitic movements. I'm telling you, they don't necessarily have to have certifiable evidence. Anything shaky was going on underneath of these buildings. We just need one piece. To push their own shit. And a lot of people are going to fall for it. Hook, line, and sinker.
3: When Joe Biden issued that video. 2020 rather. And he said. I'm running to save the soul of this country. It resonated with me in a way that I never thought it would. And that's how he got my vote. Mm-hmm. As, as everybody knows. Because I, I can. You know switch around candidates that I like or not and when I listen to we're gonna save our democracy I start thinking well unfortunately you didn't really save the soul of this country because we're more divided now than we ever were and 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 I start thinking well then our democracy is really at risk so those two things can exist at the same time right so stay with me here what we're seeing by the Republican Party and I give it to them we're seeing a long game we're seeing that they are dismantling or attempting to dismantle institutions. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the most elite colleges in, and universities in the world, which, by the way, they all went to. Everybody in the Supreme Court went there. Elise Stefanik went there. All the Congress people went there. Ted Cruz went there. Those schools are not good enough anymore because, I think, because now people that don't look like them, were are getting in. Affirmative action, no more. Why? So that... People that don't look like them don't get in. Women don't have reproductive rights anymore over their own bodies. Why? So they can have power over women. Why are? Why is French and Mandarin and Spanish being taken away from our public schools so that we can be a monolistic, a, mono, a monolingual society and can't compete globally? We, the Republicans, are intentionally dumbing down our electorate erasing history so that past can become prologue and so they can remain in power and it's grievance politics at its best and it's because people see what sarah was saying i can't pay my electric bill my my gas bill's high i i need my food and why is that why is my station in life like this it's because that black guy got into harvard and became president or it's because that immigrant is over there doing better than not driving a nicer car than I'm driving. It's grievance politics, but culture wars specific. And I wish people could see it in that way because this is not by accident.
2: And continuing in our theme of grievance politics and societal regression, piggybacking off an earlier point I made in the previous segment when speaking on the New York City Jewish Synagogue, a re- ton of reveal. The Supreme Court yet again you know making strides in their campaign to pretty much send all of us to the back of the bus has decided it will hear an Oregon case to decide Whether officials can jail or fine homeless people for merely sleeping outside. So here we are in 2024, not even a whole two or three weeks, going over Martin Luther King weekend. How ironic that we're having these kind of discussions. So recently, the Supreme Court announced it would hear a pivotal case that could transform homelessness policy in the United States, most significant legal challenge to the rights of homeless people in decades, and how the court rules in the decision expected later this year will shape how cities respond to tent encampments. A few years ago, the court declined to hear a similar challenge, but since then, This crisis, that is, unsheltered homelessness in America, their claiming has grown more severe. Inspiring municipal backlash to court rulings that have limited cities' responses to the crises has grown more organized. And on what to do about people living in tents has become one of the most urgent issues in American politics. The specific case in question, grants pass or... B. Johnson Gloria, challenged to a 2018 federal class action lawsuit filed by three people who argued that the city of Grants Pass laws and customs illegally punished them for being involuntarily homeless. The attorneys representing these pe- the plaintiffs noted, noticed the death of affordable housing and homeless shelters in the city and blasted pants grass Grants pass arguments that unhoused people could simply leave and go elsewhere. Two years ago, a three-judge panel from the Ninth Circuit ruled in favor of the plaintiffs. The same appellate court had issued a landmark ruling four years prior that said people without housing can't be punished for sleeping or camping outside on public property if there are no adequate shelter alternatives available. That decision, Martin v. Boise, has fundamentally shaped cities' response to the homelessness crisis, especially in the nine western states under the Ninth Circuit jurisdiction, where some 42 percent of the country's homeless population now lives. Leaders from dozens of cities and states, both liberal and conservative, were hoping the U.S. Supreme Court would overturn the Martin and Grant's past decisions, claiming indirect, incorrectly decided and leave governments ill-equipped to safely manage their communities. Many groups representing the rights of homeless people in turn have said there's no reason for the U.S. Supreme Court to reconsider the rulings as there's no clear disagreement among circuit courts to resolve. In the half-decade since Martin came down, there have been dozens of cases affirming it, including in the Fourth Circuit in Virginia. Some within the confines of the court system have also signaled they'd like to see Martin overruled. Summer of 2023, when the Ninth Circuit declined to review the decision, 16 judges dissented, arguing both homeless cases were incorrectly decided. Martin handcuffed local jurisdictions as they tried to respond to the homelessness crisis. Grants Pass now places them in a straitjacket, one dissent red. Last year, an Arizona state judge also urged the Supreme Court to take up the matter, arguing Martin and Grants Pass both tie the hands of cities that seek in good faith to address the growing homelessness encampment epidemic. One Friday afternoon, Ed Johnson, the lead attorney for the homeless plaintiffs, issued a statement defending the Grants Path decision, describing it as narrow and consistent with decades of Supreme Court precedent. Another part of this, arg- the argument within the Supreme Court is a decision, if it's a violation of the Eighth Amendment, to fine or arrest people who experience homelessness. Now, before I go on, I would like to share with you what the Eighth De- Amendment is. So the Eighth Amendment is protection against cruel and unusual punishment. The Eighth Amendment safeguards against excessive bail, fines, and cruel and unusual punishment. Excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. This amendment ensures that penalties for crimes are proportionate and humane, preventing the government from imposing unduly harsh or degrading punishments. The Eighth Amendment to the United States Constitution has had a profound impact on America's legal landscape. It prohibits excessive bails and fines, as well as cruel and unusual punishment. The language may seem simple, but its interpretation has been the subject of many significant court cases throughout American history. Its provisions have evolved over time with the challenging social and legal landscape and its impact on the American legal system has been enduring. Let's see. (laughs) Going back. The lead original plaintiff for the Greens Pass case was Deborah Blake, who had experienced homelessness for roughly a decade and in that time ranked up hundreds of dollars in fines and fees for sleeping outside and allegedly trespassing. By twenty twenty she owed over five thousand in penalties for living outside. The following year, she died later at 62 and the case was renamed for another homeless plaintiff, Gloria Johnson. Supporters of the decision say the Ninth Circuit merely affirmed and clarified its prior decision in Martin, which found that punishing homeless people with no other place to go violates the Eighth Amendment's on cruel, and unusual punishment. However, opponents say that by describing civil penalties against unhoused people as unconstitutional, as opposed to just criminal penalties, grants passed actually represent a radical expansion of the Martin holding. By taking this particular case, the U.S. Supreme Court is likely to resolve a key question underlying this debate. Is it a violation of the Eighth Amendment to issue penalties, whether jail time or tickets and fines? against people experiencing the homelessness if they have no adequate shelter alternatives. Lawyers representing Grant's past say no it's not, arguing that enforcing local regulations could simply not be considered cruel and unusual punishment. The entire idea that it could constitute cruel and unusual punishment to arrest someone for sleeping on the street is incorrect. The Goldwater Institute is a... I ain't reading it. Homeless advocates in support of both Martins and Grant's past say ticketing, fining, and arresting unhoused people if they have nowhere else to go certainly violates the Eighth Amendment. A brief filed in the Ninth Court in support of unhoused plaintiffs' lawyers with the Fines and Fees Justice Center argued that civil penalties frequently trap unhoused people in cycles of poverty and homelessness and ensnaring them in debt that prevents them from securing housing at all. So I will say, just looking at it from the outside, it's kind of counterproductive to constantly find unemployed, homeless people ridiculous amounts of money for merely sleeping outside. And on top of that, doing so further justifies mistreatment and prejudice and biases that people have against homeless people. And I say that when what comes to mind is not so long ago, we talked about on the I Refuse podcast, that clip that was circulating around on the platforms of the white man literally spraying a homeless person that was positioned on a public city sidewalk being sprayed down by this white guy in front of a center or a gallery or something that I think he worked at. And it just, of course, you know, the homeless person was a member of a minority group. So just the optics of it brought back how we're constantly being hosed down and here we are you know you have so much money going into city, state, and federal governments both well-to-do established, prominent and small town, and even low-income areas, all this money coming in, yeah, we are constantly faced with shelters being packed, a lot of homeless people being turned away, and very little resources being availed to, to folks. As somebody that's been homeless a couple of times. It's not a voluntary thing. It's definitely something that is in some ways, um a refuge or an escape. You know, some people are embarrassed They are there to protect their families and not bring shame and harm to their families as they are going through through life, suffering, trying to cope, trying to deal with past struggles and they're doing it in a society that looks down on them you know you have a lot of people that judge harshly because they believe they're the exception you know you have a lot of people out here that are of the attitude that oh, we all come from the same place. You know, I worked my ass off to be here. Why can't you do the same? Um, And just like I said in the previous segment, you know, when it comes to homelessness and the treatment of homeless people and the attitude, it's a double-edged sword. You know, yes, there is, while there are those that don't mind it don't mind panhandling and you know you have a lot of people that are asking for money some of which use it f- for alcohol and drugs which none of that from my personal standpoint is any of my business if I have the money I'll give it to you you know there's something about seeing a person that's having a hard time and feeling some moral obligation to help them out. You know, you see this person is hungry. You see this person is thirsty. You see this person is not doing too well. And you walk past and not help them out. And the prejudice comes in the assumption of the perception before they, before you have any kind of interaction that you conclude that this person, if you give them money or if you interact with this person or try to help them out, that they're trying to get something out of you, some money, and you just assume that they're going to live it in the worst way. And then... You know, as somebody like myself that's from Baltimore, you know, I've seen tent encampments most of my life, and they're not bothering anybody. You know, they used to be situated under and around Franklin Boulevard, Martin Luther King Boulevard. They have tents and stuff for the longest time. And then at some point I came through there one night and saw that they had fencing up as a means to keep them out from that area and i'm sure you know that stems from you know a direct result from people complaining you know being at the light and they're being accosted and being inconvenienced and it's like did you really have to do all that And it's interesting that you see this as they're putting up more high-rise buildings to expand, you know, Johns Hopkins University or, you know, Department of Veterans Affairs or, you know, other medical institutions. And it's like the money it costs to put into those programs far exceeds How much it would cost to build more housing for homeless people. More money to put into programs to help people get clean. Show that there is a way to recover from this. Which is more helpful, more healthy and beneficial than just saying, get a job, you loser. Get the fuck away from my car. Or just the attitude that, oh, well, I did it. Why can't you, you fucking loser? So now we're at a point, right, where you know that this experience exists. And a lot of people are using The court system, which is, you know, the Supreme Court, which the majority vote is Republican. And when we go into that part of the conversation, you think back to the clip that opened the segment as to what we're seeing before our very eyes. And this particular story There's another feather in the cap of the Republican Party. Not Now, I'm going to reiterate this. We're not a political podcast. We are a social, cultural podcast, among other things. We are very conscious and aware of what's happening before our very eyes. Which is not... direct reflection of who is in office but the reality still stands that we're still divided as ever And and I honestly don't think there's any way to come back from that we're literally at a point right now where we're going before the Supreme Court ways to penalize and benefit financially from people that have no money for sleeping on public streets we don't bother anybody if anything a lot of us bother them and all of this stems from fear and phobias which stems from the media stereotypes that all homeless people are drug addicts all homeless people are flagrants and uh, vandalizers and criminals and murderers and are the decay to all 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 of our communities, which is not the case, because some decays dress up and tie in suits. So, if this actually happens, to where. We see in society that we're, the powers that be are finding homeless people, which I think is the most asinine thing because it's like throwing a man or a woman behind on child support in jail, taking away their license, thus taking away their ability to work, make money, pay child support, and we're all aware of a system where there's an option to garnish one's wages forcing them to pay child support but we just skip that and just throw them in jail take their license away which leads To nothing being given to the child or the parent the custodial parent it's similar to that because what is the fine going to do you know you're gonna have something they're gonna have some stuff on their record which probably will prohibit them from getting a job which probably will prohibit them from making a way being productive doing all the things that are possible that you'd want them to do. But the reality still stands. This really, all this does is continue to keep or maintain a gap or a separation. From homeless people. Which I think is what they want to keep up anyway. Before I get up out of here, there's one or more things I wanted to discuss with y'all. Is it me? Or has it become way too common and way more prevalent drug use? So when I say that, I've noticed probably the last four or five years how casual and how comfortable people are at parties, at public events. Um, just, you know, in a mixed crowd at whipping out drugs, cocaine, whatever, just out of their pocket and start, you know, snorting it and taking it. And with groups of people, here it is, 2024, I was supposed to go to Maryland Atlantic Leather Weekend which was this past weekend you know and from this point on especially now we could no longer call it Martin Luther King Holiday Weekend we can call it Jonathan Major's Holiday Weekend since you know he's found his Coretta Scott (laughs) (laughs) kidding 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 when I had a dream, it was not to do that ever. So, the guy that is kind of my personal trainer down in DC told me the previous week that he was going to MAM. And I was like, that's cool. Maybe I'll see you around. That ultimately did not happen for me because, you know, I got scammed out of $200, which I reported through Cash App. That's. Another story for another day. I follow, I've i followed him on Twitter for years, so I got the, the updates, like, to the minute. He posted a picture of him. It was a bathroom selfie in a harness. Um, and then he proceeds in the comment sections to say something to the effect, well, this is... No reflection of the kind of evening or weekend that I've had. I had a roommate situation with some friends. Who said friends proceed on the first day, first evening of MAL weekend. To take out co- cocaine. To snort with other people in the room. Myself being a sober person. Decided I'm going to leave the hotel and go home. Thank God he's local. Had that been me. Not only would I have left. But I would have went by the front desk and snitched. So they too can have a fucked up weekend. Wrote down on a piece of paper. All the details, room number, names, and slid it to the the front desk person. Cause that's crazy. And lesson learned, you know, going into twenty twenty four to whom, whomever is listening. You know, you gotta be a little bit more tight with the word friend. You know you guys have been using that word and sprinkling it around like parsley on situations clearly these people are not your friends now maybe they were when you two were down to clown in, in that snow and shit with them but they clearly did not respect or have any regard or consideration to your journey as a sober person and they should be exed out of your life yes but first things first they should be exed out of this hotel and banned i'm like look you got at this point you got to be willing to take everybody else down to save yourself i don't care if anything about you your health or your safety if they're that comfortable to do that kind of shit Fuck all that noise! It's too cold, too windy, and too uh, raggedy out here. Do you putting yourself in danger? Like, you got You know, you also got to be careful about who you pick. Not only as friends, if that's what you want to call them, but just people you room with. You know, I have a small circle, intentionally. Of folks. um, And even a smaller circle that I would trust in my personal space. Over the course of a weekend. It's wild to me. But. Yeah people don't give a shit. People pay good money. Albeit overpriced. For you know. A four day stay at a hotel. Near Capitol Hill. And you motherfucker want to bring drugs in. Really fucking ridiculous. But yeah, I was supposed to go down. I initially wanted to go down just for the Saturday, which is pretty much the most uh, productive and active day. Um, You know, some people get down there on Thursday and start... um, more of the people start coming in on the Friday. And by Saturday, everybody's comfortable. Everybody's feeling the event. Everybody's getting the vibe and things start to to ramp up. And I'm local like some of the folks. But I had an opportunity in one of the Telegram chats to what I thought run with some people. This person was advertising through several Telegram channels. I was like, okay, I'm interested now, at first, it was, oh, you know, the, the hotel is expecting $500, um, but they'll accept half to add you to the reservation. I was like, cool, I only have $100 for the entire weekend. Um, they were like, well, if you pay half of the 500 it's it's 250 like, okay, I I sent him the $100, this person. And I waited around um, the rest of Thursday evening. And they said they were trying to get through a lot of other people were also trying to get through the hotel hotline. Um, it was taking longer than usual. And then they came back and said, you know, if you pay the up to the half which is two $200, i'll take care of the rest so i sent them another hundred friday morning and was waiting around waiting around waiting around by the afternoon i was told to hold on a little bit they were still trying something told me to find the number to the hotel call them and see what you know what was going on Able to get through not once but twice to a live person, get some information as to the reservation process, and I was told that uh, they don't expect money until you check out. So I was like, okay, something's not right. At that point, I realized I got scammed. So without blinking twice, I went over to Cash App and reported both transactions as evidence of me being scammed so let this serve as a lesson I was like you know what I'm just going to stay home not even going to go one single day let alone three I don't give a fuck you know it's going to be there next year I don't want to go down there in a pissy mood and I'd just rather be home anyway so that's what I did I decided to stay home turned out this person eventually went on to scam other people out of money and you know that's on my that's my bad that's my bad you know you go into things still on good faith and hope and people in turn disappoint you but you live and you learn this is Mr. Fox, the I Refuse Podcast. Be sure to continue to support and follow, subscribe, and check out all of the I Refuse Podcast has to offer over here, wherever you get your podcast, on the YouTube channel at I Refuse Podcast, while subscribe to our Twitter at I Refuse Podcast, all one word, Instagram at I Refuse Podcast, underscore between the words. There's also the usual suspects. A podcast I have with Abstract Sagittarius and the Iron Fuse podcast After Dark. Both podcasts are in their second season. And it's all there at your fingertips. So be sure to follow, subscribe, and continue to show us love. And we will see you guys next week. Or sooner if some more chaos or madness or ghetto shit continues to unfold.